Hi guys, um, how are you doing? Hope you're good. Hope everyone is doing fine. Good day. Um, so today we're going to be doing James chapter 4. I'm so excited because, yeah, I can't wait to um, share different chapters and different verses rather of different translations. Like the way I'm going to do today's one is going to be a mixture of different translations because it's like one verse in this pascal translation this says it more and then in some verses i'm like okay i gotta say all translations like not all but you get what i mean so let's just go because it's gonna be a beautiful 17 verses type of ride so i pray that you open your heart and let god's word just come true and go into every part of your life and position us are right the way we should be positioned and so i'll start with easy to read version um the caption before the first verse says give yourself to god it says do you know where your fights and arguments come from they come from the selfish desires that make war inside you the war and restlessness that sometimes we feel on our inside the Bible is saying that it comes from a selfish desire. That do you know where fights and arguments come from? NLT verse 2 says, you want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. A lot of times I see people, I see ourselves, even me as well. I see that sometimes when something is not going the way we want it or planned it or ordered to go, sometimes we just end up complaining and lamenting and talking and talking endless gibberish conversations on the same lamentation but we forget that there is someone that when we talk till answers come that person is god yet we keep telling ourselves the same thing over and over again we form a pity party we form a complacent you know try to help me out of my depression state just because i keep lamenting about the same issue over and over again till it becomes a norm and he's saying it's because you don't ask god for it that's why you don't have what you need cev verse 3 says yet even when you do pray your prayers are not answered because you you pray just for selfish reasons May our prayers not just be for selfish reasons. May our prayers be answered. May not be from a place of self. May be from a place of service to God. May be from a place of love to God. You know, most times even when you want to pray about yourself, understand that yourself consists because of the one that gave himself up for you at the cross. And so he dispenses his life in you and for you to live this life on earth through him and so most times we end up praying selfish prayers and he says see he says and that's why your prayers are not answered ntv says in verse 4 
So you are not loyal to God. You should know that loving the world is the same thing as hating God. Anyone who wants to be a friend of the world becomes God's enemy. Verse 5 NCV says, Do you think the scripture means nothing that says the spirit that God made to live in us wants us for himself alone? Our God is a jealous God. If you think or have a some notion that you can play both worlds is impossible you cannot serve two masters a sheep cannot have two captains you cannot serve two masters it's either you choose god or the world it's a time where you get to a decision point you can't keep going hot cold tomorrow hot next tomorrow cold are you not tired are you not tired of lifting up holy hands one minute and the next minute you're cursing people? Are you not tired of saying one thing and meaning the next? Are you not tired of having to pretend and unpretend um, when people are there or not? Are you not tired of this flakiness of fake plus real plus pretend plus reality, ideality kind of lifestyle? It says you cannot love God and love the world because loving the world is the same thing as hating God so you need to understand that whether you make a decision or not a decision is made by your action and lifestyle because whatever you do or do not do the opposite is transferred in terms of what you actually mean to do and so in TPT verse 6 says but he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. For it says, God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace when you are humble. I like this verse 6 so much and I gave it in different... Let's, let's just read it in um, different translations so that we can kind of break it down in terms of this humility, pride, grace thing. Verse 6 says in amplified classic but he gives us more and more grace says power of the holy spirit to meet this evil tendency and all others fully this is why he says god sets himself against the proud and haunted but gives grace continually to the lowly those who are humble enough to receive it amplified in itself says but he gives us more and more grace through the power of the holy spirit to defy sin and live an obedient life that reflects both our faith and our gratitude for our salvation. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud and haughty, but continually gives the gift of grace to the humble who turns away from self-righteousness. Who turns away from self-righteousness? You know, for you to be able to receive the grace of God, you must be humble. You must be humble because it takes you to be humble to receive if you are putting airs around you puffy and you no one can talk to you you're not able to receive the transfer of virtue of value that's going to flow from one person to another to you and even in scriptures um there was a time in my life i remember when i would read bible and it was just letters and you know they say the letter kills the spirit that gives life and i remember i would just read the bible you know having studied law you know try to do the whole legal research on bible and just you know try to understand the bible from man's own perspective from logical reasoning and it kind of just 
felt like stories to me. I just saw stories, you know, I just get the lesson I learned and I felt like, oh, I've read my Bible, you know, it's good. And at the time, to be fair, I thought that was it. But I had to understand that I just kept having that whole hot and cold moment and God is saying, I'm calling you to a higher life. And I was like, so how do I get to plunge into this higher life? And he says, you need to read my word, not as a book, but as me. You need to see me in the word. And to see me in the word, you need my spirit. You need my life. And, you know, receiving the Holy Spirit and understanding that not just speaking in tongues was for the use of the person of the Holy Spirit. I had to understand that I needed to rely on the Holy Spirit to interpret the Bible in his way I need I needed to receive it at the time. And sometimes I can even read a different thing a different day just part time as I am growing. And the first time I tried I remember how I was like Holy Spirit just open your scripture to me. Open this word to me. Let's not be like stories. Let me see the life of your word. And I remember when I was reading the sorry with Matthew I remember when we were doing you know Holy Spirit series and then I would read it and I would see beyond the letters. I could literally, I could literally connect, like I'll be reading the scriptures and Holy Spirit saying, this part of your life, this is what it was trying to say in this regard. And it will give me a whole meaning that my mind could not have captured it by logical reasoning. And I'll be thinking, how did you see that? How did, and it was just literally relying on the spirit of God to open my eyes to see what I needed to see. It was like there were words beyond the word I was seeing, but it was true secondary illumination by the heart of the Holy Spirit unveiling scriptures to me. And it was just talking about the fact that I had to be lowly and humble enough to understand and say, God, I don't understand this thing. Open your scriptures to me. Open your word. They say your word brings life. I need to see the life of the word for this word to make sense into me and become flesh. For it to become something I can use for my life, I need it to open up to me. And it was in that sincerity and humility of coming down and asking God that I was able to receive the answer. I was able to receive an outpouring. There is no pouring of grace where there is no humility. You cannot receive the life of God when you are not humble enough. If you don't know you need something, you can never receive what you don't know you need. It's until you know you don't know, and you know you need to know, and then you know you need to ask to know, then you receive what you need to know. By asking. In humility. KJV in verse 7 says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. A lot of people say, resist the devil, he will flee. They forget the first word, submit. To submit is to come under that lowly understanding that God is your savior, your master, and your Lord. Submission isn't easy. But until you submit to the Lord God Almighty, you are unable to resist the devil. A lot of times I've tried to resist the devil before I submitted to God. A lot of times the devil, I did not have the, I did not even have the strength to be able to prevail before I can even say I will flee or the devil will flee from me. But the time I remember how, you know, when you're like, okay, you take your life back, give your life to Christ, take your life back, you give your life to Christ, give your life back. Now, the true meaning of giving your life to Christ is submission in itself because it's no more you that live, but Christ that lives in you. It's no more what you want to do, but what God will have you do. 
it's it's no more like it says is it expedient that i do this or do that so now everything i think or do or act or whatever it is i i i author or everything i say with my mouth utter with my mouth or do anything must be sanctioned by the person of the holy spirit it is me saying, God, I put you before me. I, I, I say, bypass my emotions and do your will in my life. It's me saying, God, it, even if this might be what it looks like and I really want this, but whatever it is you say, I pick up my bag and I go. Submission is like when P- Philip, one of the apostles, and when Holy Spirit said, run and meet this thing, uh, um, go and meet this guy at this particular time in this particular place, Philip left everything he had and he started to run with so much urgency to the spirit, the words of God. And that, that's submission. Submission is regardless of whatever I plan to do, I leave everything all for you. And it's in submitting to God that you become, you, you get to that place of oneness. And it's in that place of oneness and, you know, ability to align with the path of, that God has designed that you're able to be able to say no to the devil, say no to the world, say no to everything that is anti-God. And that way, he's able to flee from you because the devil cannot stand light. The devil is darkness. And the moment light comes on darkness, light has to stay and darkness has to flee. So the moment you transcend into the light of God and you do all he has called you to do by alignment, definitely the devil will have to flee because the devil is darkness and he cannot comprehend light. He cannot stand light. So the moment you are light, he cannot stand you. He resists you when you submit to God because when you submit to God, the light transfers in you. And through you, everyone begins to have light. And that's why when the devil comes to you, he can't stand the light. So he has to flee. He flees because your light is too bright. When the devil tried to tempt Jesus, after God, after he gave him, um, after Jesus gave him the responses that he did not expect, he had to flee at the end of the day because he was light. The devil wants to check if the light is real. When he sees that the light is too real for him, he has to flee. He cannot stand light. And that's why you need to let the Holy Spirit excavate whatever that is within inside you because there are some little, little corners. That the, that's why the Holy Spirit helps us and prunes us to bring us into maturity and perfection because he knows that the the devil is looking for the black small small spots because as little as those things you think they are they are what will grow into what the devil will end up wanting to use in your life and may we not be found wanting verse 8 ncv says come near to god and god will come near to you you sinners clean sin out of your lives you are trying to follow god and the world at the same time making your thinking pure it's not possible you is you are coming near to god and god will come near to you he will meet you halfway the he says if you seek me those that diligently seek me will find me his words does not drop he does not lie he's too faithful to fail so if he says come near to me and i'll come near to you that is if you diligently seek him you will find him there's no way you will tell me you would diligently seek god in oneness of spirit and humility and since says a contrite and sincere heart he will not turn away that's the god that we serve so are you really hungry? I remember those time when I was like, I really want to know God, but I did not really have that desire to pursue. Like, I did not really have that, you know, inclination to be like, ah, oh, I can't start trying to fast and pray and this because I just did not know how to go about it at the beginning. And I remember, I, I remember they were like, you need to have hunger, and I was like, 
even with my normal eating, the hunger was not really there because I had also at that time of beginning of my life story and blah blah blah. And I remember I would tell myself, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna just pray for hunger. I don't get this whole I know I want more in God. I know I want to see God more, but I understand that to see God more you need the hunger. It's just like the way to eat food, you need to be hungry. And if you're not hungry, you'd probably just eat casually. But when you eat intentionally, it's when you're really, really, really hungry. That kind of hunger. So I started praying into it and I'll pray into hunger. And I'll pray into hunger. And I remember when I just started, you know, walking into dimensions and reading God's words, seeing different things, there was this desire that was just unending. It was just, I was, I couldn't, before I would just, you know, I knew a lot of scriptures and I just kept to myself. I, need to, I felt like there was no need to spread it out to tell people, like, it was just cool. Like, I know God, God knows me, you know, we're good. But I realized that I couldn't keep it to myself. It was like, I was enjoying this so much like that. This life had to pass. Like, it just had to it had to transcend just me it had to transcend itself it had to go elsewhere it had to you know it was i couldn't contain it 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 was just a lot and it was just talking about the fact that indeed if you seek god you will find him and so you can't follow god and follow the world that being said um i think i might stop in verse 10 and then we'll continue the last seven verses in another um series but let me go through verse 9 and 10. Verse 9 ESR says, Be sorry about your sins and weep. Stop laughing. Instead, be sad. Do not be happy, but be very sad. Verse 10 says, Amplified, Humble yourself with an attitude of repentance and insignificance in the presence of the Lord. He will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will give you purpose. Um, if you remember when um, David sinned before God, he was sad. He went, wore ash clothes. He was asking God for forgiveness. Sadness and being um, reflective and repentive about your actions that you've committed, maybe that is sinful, is not the same thing as, you know, remaining in guilt. That's a different thing. Sadness in the sense of what you did indeed was wrong. It's not something to laugh about. You cannot sin and say, oh, God, forgive me, and then just laugh it off. Mm-mm. It's it's beyond that. There's a place for repentance, confession. There's a place of reflection. There's a place for meditation as that this, what I've done. I remember then when I would um, do something that obviously was not, you know, pleasing before God. There would be this um, conscience thing, and I'd be like, God, I'm sorry. And because it's, it was, um, I was like, I know, <laughs> I think at the time I was not even ready to change. But there would always be this. And the thing is, I wouldn't feel conviction or guilt. I would feel, rather, what I would feel would be this kind of sadness of, ah, God, I'm so sorry. And it was from that place of, I'm really, really sorry. But I was, I know definitely at the time, I was not even ready to change anyway. But there was this, the, the difference now is the fact that God is saying, stop laughing about it. Stop saying sorry casually. Stop doing the whole pretend type of sorry. Don't say sorry if you don't mean it. Don't be happy, be sad. Humble yourself with an attitude of repentance. A, an, what is a repentive attitude? It's an attitude that say, God, I am sorry. I've made a mistake. And I'm, and I'm sorry and I rely on you to help me out of it. It's coming before God in humility. And coming before God knowing nothing. Asking for forgiveness. Coming lowly. 
it is saying you are sorry, not something you are jesting about, not something that you are frolicking about, not something that you are intending to do again while you are saying the sorry. Not something you are happy to do. But something you are sad about and you are saying, God, come in and change it. Have you ever seen a, a beggar begging for food that really needs it? He begs with all his mind. And so when we also do not do things right, it is very, very insensitive of us to now want to wrap it up with arguments and try to justify our wrongs. A lot of times we try to justify why we do this or do that, why we wear this or wear that, why we say this or say that. And God is saying, if only they can just humble themselves before me and ask for forgiveness. I will forgive because I am the I'm I'm the God embodying forgiveness. I am love. And so I just pray that God will help us to have a humility heart, a heart that is repentive, a heart that wants to repent every single time we come short, a heart that just loves God, a heart that is hungry for his word, a heart that is thirsty for his word. And I pray God helps us. All of this we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. And that's it from me, guys. We'll continue the next verses in the next episode. Do have a beautiful day. Bye. Hi, guys. Um, my name is Favor. So today, um, I would continue the James series. So we're doing James chapter 4, part 2. And now we're going to run through verses 11 to 17. And as usual, in different versions of the scripture... Um, I hope you're excited because um, I am as well and I just let us just dive in and just hear God's word in message version I'll start with message message translation um, James chapter 4 verse 11 it says don't bad mouth each other friends it's God's word his message don't bad mouth it his royal rule that takes a beating in the kind of talk you're supposed to be honoring the message not writing graffiti all over it god is in charge of deciding human destiny who do you think you are to meddle in the destiny of others when you badmouth the bible is saying you are meddling in the destiny of others why are you trying to write graffiti why are you trying to write or say what has not been said by the scriptwriter, our God in heaven? See if he takes it down and says, My friends, don't say cruel things about others. If you do, or if you condemn others, you are condemning God's law. And if you condemn the law, you put yourself above the law and refuse to obey it either. And he says, or God who gave it. So it's either you're refusing to obey it or your God who gave it. So it's either you're refusing to obey God or his law. And God is his, you know, the word of God says God honors his word above his name. And so when you refuse to obey the word of the Lord, you're also refusing to obey God. And James is telling us that God is our judge and he can save or destroy us. What right do you have to condemn anyone? What right do you have? So when you start to badmouth people, you forget the fact that at the end of the day is the mercy of God that kept you alive. So what authority are you using to badmouth another person? What rights do you have to condemn anyone? 11 in God's words translation, it says, 
Brothers and sisters, stop slandering each other. Those who slander and judge other believers slander and judge God's law. If you judge God's teaching, you are no longer following them. Instead, you're judging them. 12 says, There is only one who creates law and judges on the basis of them. He's able to save or destroy you. So who are you to judge your neighbor? I like TPT. Still, we're still on this same 11 and 12 because it's so critical. I literally had to extract different translations so that we could get this point. And TPT says, that's the Passion Translation, says, Dear friends, as part of God's family, never speak against another family member. For when you slander a brother or sister, you violate God's law of love. And your duty is not to make yourself a judge of the law of love by saying it doesn't apply to you. But your duty is to obey it. So there is only one true lawgiver and judge, the one who has the power to save and destroy. So who do you think you are to judge your neighbor? The Bible is asking what effrontery was giving you the right to be a judge over another. Another that you did not create, by the way. ERV, I'll, I'll just do ERV before we move to 13 and the remaining verses. ERV in 11 and 12 says, Brothers and sisters, don't say anything against each other. If you criticize your brother or sister in Christ or judge them, you're criticizing and judging the law. They follow. And when you are judging the law, you are not a follower of the law. You have become a judge. God is the one who gave us the law and he is the judge. He is the only one who can save and destroy. So it is not right for you to judge anyone. You are not the judge. If there's anything you can't remember from this podcast, remember you're not the judge. A lot of times when God gives us a word, and maybe we're already acting it out and practicing it, because any word God gives you, he will test it. And so when we're already practicing and maybe acting it out, and maybe God says, don't do this or do that, and you're literally just, you know, doing that part, and then you see your neighbor doing exactly the opposite, and then you feel it's your right to start to, you know, want to bad mother person. Why is that person doing this? Why? You've forgotten that. At some point in your life, you were at some point there. Even if not there, you've done so many things in your life that obviously were not perfect. But guess what? God didn't judge you. Instead, he gave you his Holy Spirit to help you to become like him. So what right do you have to judge the next fellow human being? Instead, intercede. Instead, pray for the person. Instead, ask the Holy Spirit to go help the person. The same Holy Spirit that helped you is capable to, to also help him. Don't do the job of the Holy Spirit. Don't be assistant Holy Spirit. Don't be assistant police officer spirit. Allow God to do his work. A lot of times we claim, to, we claim that the power of God saves us, but do we really know that the power of God saves us? Because our ability to not let God be God is our ability to actually rob God of the power or deny the fact that his power can save. And so when you see the next neighbor not doing what you think you want him to do, rather than judge you can intercede. You can, you can in love pray for the person. And you know something? I remember every time in my life, anytime I'm like, oh, I don't like that person, or I don't like what that person did, or what they didn't do. Sometimes, enough for me not to get to that point where I start to get angry or sinful, or I start thinking thoughts that are not glorifying God. I have to start to pray for the person. I start to actually help the person. I start to like, okay, give the person information, pray for the person, pray for the person. One thing prayer does, if not anything, prayer does a lot of things, but one thing it does in terms of when, for example, you don't like someone and you want to like the person. When you start praying for the person unconsciously, unconsciously, 
you would not be able to say something evil about that person. And it's not because they probably changed their attitude. No, it's just because you've changed your stand. Anybody I start to pray for, and I, and I keep praying, like every night I keep praying for the person, or every day I keep praying, I just add that person in my prayer, regardless of how short or how long, I just keep adding that person in my prayer. Unconsciously, after like a month, I just have a soft spot for that person. It just happens. And so most times I always tell someone, if you have a problem with someone and you're having, and the person is not changing, but you know that this is not glorifying God, that is the feelings you're having towards this person, you pray for the person. Prayer helps you to break you. It breaks you. It helps you mend you. puts your mind in alignment with God's word. It puts you in alignment with what God has said you should do. It puts you in alignment to yielding. And so it's saying you are not the judge. Leave the judgment to God. Do your bit. I always say, when someone always say, but we heard the word. Why can't he do this? Why can't she do this? Why, why, why must she not do this? And I'm thinking, why can't you do it? If you pray about something, be sure to be the first person to be the answer to your own prayer. If you know that someone is not nice to you, be nice to them. Why? Because you heard the word. It's in your changing that the Holy Spirit transforms their hearts. Since the heart of kings is in his hand, so therefore he can turn and overturn. And so if you do your bit, let, trust God to do his bit. You know, by us even being judges sometimes, sometimes we're trying to also tell God that we're doing, we can do the job better. And that's around, 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 not good. And so, yeah, verse 11 and 12, just really saying that we should learn to trust God to be God and not be judge over our fellow neighbor, brothers and friends. Um, verse 13 in the Good News Bible says, Now listen to me, you that say today or tomorrow we will travel to a certain city where we will stay a year and go into business and make a lot of money. And notice says in 14, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's a little here while then it's gone. It's so profound. Oh my gosh. Like a lot of times we do a lot of planning, 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 the NBT, next big thing. What's next? What's next? What's next? I'm not saying that's not okay. I'm saying, have you committed it to the hands of the Lord? I'm not saying it's not good to plan. I'm saying that in all your ways, have you acknowledged him for him to direct your path? I'm saying, are you boasting in your abilities or the ability of the one who has the power to save you? A lot of times I've fallen victim of this as well. A lot of times we do a lot of planning, a lot of collaboration, a lot of, you know, here and there, NBC, plan, plan, plan. And we forget the one person that really matters, God. And so my heart cry has always been, God, lead me. God, direct me. Open my eyes to see your plans. That I may not go in the opposite direction of what you're saying. It says like the morning fog. Your life is like the morning fog. James put it so apt in NLT in 14 because a morning fog, you know the way you would go out in the morning to do maybe a, a walk or something. You see how cold the air is and then you see like some dewish thing and then before you go, that foggy atmosphere in the sky, you just realize that before you go and come back to your house, in less than 30, 40 minutes, you will not know when the whole sky becomes clear. That's how he describes our life. He's telling you that this is a temporal residence, this earth. So you cannot be doing like everything ends here. 
you cannot be holding everything onto so much tightness. You cannot be so much hatred, so much unforgiveness, so much grudges. You cannot be planning. You should not be too rigid that your creator cannot make you flexible. Learn to be yielded by the Holy Spirit per time. Sometimes you will plan and plan and guess what? None of your plans are going to come true. Not because it's a bad prayer. It's just because God has something better designed. So a lot of times where we're planning, why it's good to plan, always remember that you need to acknowledge someone in all your ways. And that person is God. Let the Holy Spirit be your lifeline guide. So while you make your plans, let him be your guide. Because guess what? Every single plan you make, sometimes he changes it. Sometimes he gives a U-turn. Sometimes he gives a left turn. But always be ready to yield, ready to submit to his leadership. And you know, as we go on, we'll begin to realize that God has so much beautiful things ahead in stock for us. But until we yield our spirit, we're not able to unfold all his his beautiful, beautiful design. And in 15, ERV says, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will leave and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. The Bible is saying you ought to say, Lord, if the Lord wills it, then we do it. Let the Lord be your focus. A lot of times, do you know why when you have pressures on storms, do you know why you get overwhelmed? It's actually not because the storm was overwhelming. It might be, but guess what? It's because your focus was on the storm. If your focus is on God, when the storm comes and you look more to God, what happens is that the storm becomes insignificant insignificant because God starts to shift it in a direction that it will go away from you without you even realizing. Then when you realize, you'll be like, God has done it again. But a lot of times we magnify the storm so much that we cover the fact that we have a God. And when the storm is so much magnified, the, the devil used that fear to be able to do what he wants to do. It makes us um, pessimistic, procrastinating, at the end of the day, distracted. Before you know it, our sensitivity is reduced. And before you know it, we start to speak words in the negative. And our words, remember, has power and life. And therefore, you see that the things that were not part of God's design begins to come to life. And not because of anything else but our negligence, ignorance, our ability to just allow things to go by the way it should go rather than put it in the hands of God. And so in TPT, verse 17 says, So if you know of an opportunity to do the right thing today, yet you refrain from doing it, you're guilty of sin. Right there. Procrastination is sinful according to this. It says, if you know of something and you don't do it, you refrain from doing it, you're guilty of sin. The Bible hates procrastination. James is saying, if you are to do something right now and you don't do it, that is sin. In 17, KJV, I'm going to read KJV. That's the King James Version. It says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then don't do it. And I know we always say, you know, we just procrastinated it. Things came up, da-da-da. But, you know, the thing is, sin, the sinful things that actually, like, that things that will turn into big things start in a subtle way. Very small, just very small. Okay, they did not say we should not do this now. It's not there. So you just don't do it. And then you just realize that it just starts to increase. Like a tear on it on a cloth. It just has a small tear. And then you leave it. You don't mend it. Before you know it, days will go. Sometimes will go. Before you know it, it becomes more and more and more and more and more. And then you just realize that. Before you know it, it's a whole big hole. And that's how our life are. 
when there's a little dent and we don't let the Holy Spirit come in and prune us and help us, it becomes a bigger dent. It becomes, before you know it, it becomes a lifestyle. And then it's harder to change. But then again, there's nothing too hard for God. But remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. That's what King James is saying. TPT is telling you that if you're not about Trinity to do the right thing today, but you refrain from doing it, you are guilty of sin. So let us try to let the Holy Spirit lead us part time and let us also yield to obey part time. I love Philip in Acts. Philip was one of the disciples, and you know when when the Holy Spirit told him to move, he ran. He was he was very urgent to go with the yielding of the Lord, and and that's how we ought to be. When God speaks, let there be an urgency in your feet. Let your feet be so swift that the Holy Spirit can use you for anything at any time. He's not he's not thinking. Ah, should I call this person? Will this vessel go? She might you know lazy a bit. A lot of times when God say do this, we're always saying, God, can I do it? God, can we really? When Adam was given the mandate from beginning, he said, name them. He did not say, God, can I? Mm -mm." There was no question. He knew that the person that formed him, for him to tell him, that means he can do it. So are you, are you, are you one that God can call and you respond immediately? Or are you that one that will start giving excuses of why you are not, or why you can't, or why you may not be? Why are you always looking for the not part? Why you can't you always do the can part? You are able. You are good. You are blessed. You are fine. You are beautiful. You are outspoken. You are worded. You are filled with the Holy Ghost. And therefore, let the Holy Ghost manifest himself within you. Let him work within you. Trust him to work in you, not you to work in yourself. And that's how we are able to radiate God's glory. That's how we are able to attain Christ-likeness on this earth. I'm big like God's here on earth. And so I just pray we're blessed. I pray that God will open our eyes. I pray God will uplift our spirits. Do have a beautiful, beautiful day. Guys, God bless you.